You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. Well, if you happen to have missed um, a week or two here at EBC, we're having a look at uh, some really encouraging words, actually, that Paul um, wrote to the Corinthian church. Why are we looking at that? Well, we want to be the very, very best disciples we can here at EBC. We, we want to be... Uh, people who bring God much glory, we're going to bring him glory as we live fruitful lives, and, and fruit is the inevitable result of abiding in Christ. Abiding, therefore, becomes a very, very important aspect of the Christian life, and we've been sort of breaking that down into an acrostic and, and kind of trying to understand the, the disciplines which might help us to abide. A is, well, one of the disciplines is coming together, all together, on, on regular occasions to to benefit from the, the building up that we all have to offer. The, the B is a reminder to be still, to take times to be still before the Lord frequently. The I is, is a reminder to, to do all that we can to imitate Jesus Christ in, in, in life and ministry. The D is, is a reminder to be devoted to one another. And then the E is all about being envoys of grace. We say envoys because we couldn't fit ambassadors in there. It didn't, didn't work. But what we simply mean by that is to be a representative of God, of the grace of God. And therefore, we thought, well, we've got to kind of get our heads around this whole idea of grace, don't we? How would you define grace? What does grace look like? How do we understand grace? And, and so that's why we're thankful to Paul for the second letter to the Corinthians. He was in the middle of writing about how he's feeling very, very anxious about not hearing from them. And, and, uh, and then he sort of, sort of explains why. And from chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5, he kind of takes a, a, a little bit of a digression and, and he starts to talk about the nature of grace. And in actual fact, he starts to talk a little bit about why it is that, quite frankly, he's a really unimpressive apostle. Because that's the word that he'd heard from the, from the church there in Corinth. We've got all these other great apostles coming through, and they have a, a different message, a really, really nice one, actually, that tickles our ears. Paul, yeah, of course, he was the first guy to come through, but frankly, he's, he's a little unimpressive, isn't he, compared to these other apostles? And so that was kind of the, the word that he was, was hearing back. And, and so in these chapters, 2, 3, 4, and 5, he shares with them the nature of grace and, and why it is, actually, that he is a rather unimpressive apostle. Now, that's the, the context that we're in. Around Christmas time, um, it often falls to, to me to do a lot of the, the wrapping of Christmas presents in the Hunter household, a little bit like, like Nat. Nat and I understand the engineering of wrapping, and so it kind of falls to us, but since he's moved out of home and is busy wrapping presents for his dad, it falls to me to actually, actually wrap all of the rest of the presents. Now, I happened to, this last Christmas, buy Bronner, a couple of gold earrings. You'll never guess where I found them. They're really, really nice ones. They came from Costco, actually. Costco. And, um, and, and as well, they, they, the packaging was really unimpressive. And I thought to myself, they're really nice earrings. You're, you're delighted in them, aren't you? In fact, probably kind of chose them roughly. She said you could choose that one, that one, or that one. And so I, surprise, it was B. Um, and, but, but, the, but the packaging was, was really unimpressive. So it fell to me to kind of do something a little bit like dress it up, make it look nice. And the reason is because how we package something tells us a little bit about the value we place on that. Well, probably... If you were to think about the most valuable thing you can possibly think about and being a Christian church, we would probably say God, wouldn't we? 
well, what sort of packaging could you come up with that is going to express the value we place on God? How, do you, how would you package God? Well, that's, that's what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about the fact that, that we are the, the perfect package. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, he says, well, the packaging for God is this. We have this treasure, treasure being Christ in us, in jars of clay, actually, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and, and not actually from us. Now, this, this jar of clay is, is one, of, one of several images that, that Paul uses to, to talk about the, the nature of grace. And this is where I need your help. We've been looking at the fact that throughout these chapters, Paul uses around eight, but we're looking at seven, seven different pictures to help us to understand the grace of God. And again, if you haven't been here for the last few weeks, this might be new to you, but don't worry, you're going to catch on, catch on real quick. So um, now's the time to, to stand up, actually. You're going to help me with this, with this bit. So, so stand up, big gestures, and, and some of you will, will know this. The rest you'll catch on very, very quickly. We, we had seven pictures. They're all connected, and it all starts with the most wonderful picture of all. It's a, a picture of a huge coffee cup. Okay. Now, for instance, just so you understand where this is going, the coffee cup... Well, what do you think of when you think of a coffee cup, a beautiful aroma, the aroma of, of, of coffee coming out of that? Paul calls us the aroma of Christ. See, so each picture has a, has a little bit of an association. So firstly, we have a huge coffee cup. Coffee cup. Yeah, we're going to say it all together, okay? Firstly, we have a huge coffee cup. coffee cup. Fantastic. In the middle of that is sitting a torch, torch. and over the top of that is a Bang. fantastic. It's held on. It doesn't blow away because sitting there is a, a clay pot. Um, kind of hitched over that is this tent, and in the opening of the tent is a globe, and standing on top of the globe is a very well-dressed person with a very large hand. Fantastic. You guys are good. All right, turn to the person next to you. One person works through those pictures going all the way up. The other person works through those pictures going all the way down. So Paul starts out by saying, well, the, this new covenant of grace that we're under means that we are unto God like the aroma of Christ, with just a very, very pleasant aroma. And the coffee cup reminds us of that, that aroma. The torch inside the coffee cup reminds us that the light of Christ has dawned in our hearts, that we are actually able to see Jesus Christ for who he really is. And like a, like a dawning, the dawning of the sun, which brings light and color and clarity to all things, that's what grace does in our lives. Why doesn't, why doesn't everybody see that from time to time at least? Well, it's because there's this veil over over their hearts, and they can't understand the things of God. They can't understand this, this grace that is within us. But whenever a heart turns towards God, guess what? That veil is removed. And that has happened to us who have experienced the grace of God. There is a, a veil removed from our heart, and there's a veil removed from our eyes so that we are able to, to see what the Father looks like in the face of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what is so amazing about grace. And then holding that veil down is this, is this clay pot. And Paul uses, uses this as the, the fourth image now to, to talk about the, the grace of God. He's saying, how would, you, how would you package the most valuable thing you can think of, God? How would you package God? Well, this is, this is how God gets packaged. He gets packaged, actually, in a jar of clay. Now, in fairness, 
Um, this has been loaned to me, and it's, it's a really nice jar, to be quite honest. But what Paul is picturing is, is a really ordinary jar of clay. They were kind of like the, the, the Tupperware of, of that day. You know, it's kind of, the, if it gets broken, ha, that's all right. My two-year-old can make another one. So a jar of clay, there wasn't a huge value put on it. And so it's kind of saying it's a really, really ordinary household object. And yet, in this household object, God chooses to place his presence he places his wonderful, magnificent, splendid presence, Jesus Christ himself, in these rather ordinary vessels like, like jars of clay. And that's the surprising thing. You know, often in Christian circles, we can get very, very excited when, when some celebrity becomes a Christian. And, you know, it might be a sports hero or a musician or an actor. Now, not to say there's no place for that. In the Sun-Herald today, Gary Ablett is, um, uh, gives a fantastic testimony about, about his faith. For those who don't, Gary Ablett is a, is a brilliant footballer. Perhaps some are saying the best there ever was. And, and he talks very, very openly about his faith. Now, now there's a place for that, but... I think Paul would say, don't pin your hopes on some celebrity Christian. The truth is that, that God loves to use very, very ordinary vessels, to be quite honest. And sometimes he can use ordinary vessels like you and I to much greater effect. Are we all ordinary? Well, yeah. I mean, even I feel rather ordinary from time to time. Um, do you think, <laughs> just everything on a gay, do you think that because I'm lead pastor, you know, I kind of feel like a super Christian? Not, not at all. In fact, I've um, got this letter in my office that kind of helps put things into perspective from time to time. Jade wrote it to me just before I left for Greece. So some people might think that in a pastor's office, you're going to have, you know, a big shelf of very, very impressive books. You'd like to think he read something, wouldn't you? And then you're going to have sort of, you know, his credentials plastered up against the war, certificates and so forth. Actually, you won't find that in my office. There's a, it was a pretty comfortable couch, actually. Um, a, um, a fake tree, just to bring a little bit of greenery into it, but it would die if I was left to look after it. And then on my wall, a couple of, a couple of pictures. There's this one from Jay. She's just about to head to Greece, so she writes to me, Hey, Dadams, I love you lots. You're the bomb digs. Love, Jay. So that's really, really encouraging. Uh, but then as, as if, almost anticipating the fact that, you know, I might just get ahead of myself a little bit, she adds to that, P.S., your office depresses me. You need some natural light or something. And she's not the first one to say that my office is a depressing place. Uh, but, but, then, but then to go on, again, as, as if anticipating the fact that, well, I'm going to miss her and I'm probably going to worry about her because I'm a very average, ordinary kind of a dad. And it's, it's kind of typical. I'm going to be a little bit anxious. So just to depict where is the source of my anxiety for me, lest I, I ever don't realize it. She drew me this picture. On the um, left-hand side there, you've, you've got me, um, and I've got three hairs. How's that? Um, so it's a flattering picture. Dad in Australia. And then you've got an ocean, and she describes the, well, the difficulty of getting across this ocean. There's a plane, and it's, it's uh, what is it? it, it Dangerous and oh, I better look up here. too uh, dangerous and expensive. Yes, um, there's a, there's an ocean. It's well, it's dangerous and, and large, and and then there's her, Jade in Greece. A whole lot more hair than I have, and standing behind her would appear to be all my Greek husbands. So this, I'm not which sure which bit is the source of my anxiety, but <laughs> but it helps. 
it helps to paint the picture how ordinary I, I can often feel. You know, we, we all can. You can take any of the greats in the Bible. Take Moses, for instance, as he's trying to, trying to lead the people of Israel. They're, they're just one year in the land, and they're starting to cry out for meat. And Moses is thinking to himself, you know, well, where am I going to find meat for, you know, at least 600,000 hungry men plus wives plus children? And they're whinging. They're just, they're coming. And, and eventually, he has a little complaint to God. Now, this is a pretty low day for him. But listen to what he says in Numbers 11, verse 14. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. I mean, just, just before this, actually, this is kind of, kind of cute. I'll throw this in too. It kind, of, it kind of says, did I conceive all these people? You know, did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant? You know, so he's really, really giving a little bit of a complaint to God here. They're not my kids. And then he says, can I carry all these people by myself? The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. There you go. If I have found favor in, in if I have found favor in your eyes, do not do not let me face my own ruin. So Moses was having a difficult day, and and it it seems that in the Christian life we can all have such days where we feel, "Woe is me! I'm just I'm just an ordinary kind of a sucker in this." You know, I'm a jar of of clay. Paul understood this. He um, actually talked to the Corinthians about this in an encouragement to them. He writes, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. See, See the encouragement here? God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are. In other words, he was essentially saying God loves to take the foolish things, the, the things that this world, quite frankly, doesn't necessarily respect. Um, I guess in Matthew 25, Jesus is teaching on, on the, you know, the, the parable of the sheep and the goats and, and how you know, when you minister to other people, it's, it's like ministering to him himself. And when people say, well, how is that true? He replies, whenever you ministered to one of the least of these, my, my brethren. In other words, one of, one of my family, the least of them. And that's really what we are in, in many respects. Back to our passage in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9, Paul goes on to explain our predicament. Often in this life, we feel that we're hard-pressed. We feel rather perplexed. We feel persecuted. And we can sometimes even, even feel struck down. But then he goes on and he says, However, whilst that's true, we're not crushed. We're not in despair. And we're not abandoned. We're not destroyed. So here we are, rather ordinary vessels, just jars of clay, you know, and yet, Paul says, we're not broken. We're not broken. How is, how is this so? Well, to understand this, you need to understand that firstly, there are things that we see and things that we don't see. For instance, things that we see, we might see um, one another as, as it were, jars of clay, What we don't see is that inside each jar of clay is this amazing treasure, Jesus Christ dwelling within. What we do see is that outwardly we're wasting away. I understand that after the body reaches the age of, what is it, 21, 22 or something, 
From there on, it's downhill. You start to just break down slowly and decompose. You are looking at a significantly decomposed body right now. Outwardly, we just, we just waste away. It's, it's goodbye, goodbye. I'm, I'm, frankly, I'm on the way to the grave. I, I am. And some of you are with me, and some are more advanced than I. Um, but, but outwardly, we're wasting away. That's what we see. What we don't see is that inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Jesus is becoming more and more within us. Isn't that extraordinary? What we do see is our momentary troubles in this life. And Paul talks about them in a few more verses. What we don't see is this eternal glory that we are striving towards. Isn't that beautiful? There's what is seen and there is what is unseen. Some some seasons ago, the popular um, uh, British program Top Gear uh, decided to pit themselves against the Australians. And they brought, they brought a bunch of Aussies over to, to the UK and they brought um, our fastest and most powerful ute. It's the Holden Maloo. And uh, listen, I can't tell you how powerful it is, but they brought that across to sort of showcase it. The thing is that the Brits, you know, they've produced many fine... No, they haven't actually. But, but anyway, they've, they've produced cars over time, and, but they haven't ever produced a ute. So all they had was the, you know, the old British you know, delivery van. And, uh, and so, so there they've got the two on the tarmac there, the, you know, the sleek Holden Maloo, just the engine rumbling away and, and you know, the driver kind of feeling pretty confident because next to him is this old, you know, picture Postman Pat, this old British delivery van and, and inside it is, uh, is Richard Hammond and, and he's kind of feeling like, well, I drew the short straw here, isn't he? You know, why did they give me this job? So he's ready to just putter over the, the takeoff line and, and uh, in, inside the Holden Maloo, the driver is getting excited and, and, and then off they go, green light, off they go. This British delivery van leaves the Holden Maloo for dead. It just tears off down the runway. And the driver, Richard Hammond, is in it and he's thinking, what is in this thing? I can't believe it. He, he doesn't know what's happened. And the poor driver of the Holden Maloo is kind of, what is in that British delivery van? I mean, whoa, because he's giving it all he's got and, and he's not getting anywhere at all. Of course, the British delivery van, van wins. They both get over the finish line and then everybody gets out of the car and gathers around. The cameras are there. And of course, is all right, come on. That is no ordinary van. What, what is in there? So uh, Jeremy... It opens up the, the back of the back of the van there and 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 shows, no, I think it's just an ordinary engine. What is it? And then they discover um, actually the the engine that has come out of a Jaguar XJ two twenty, which is a which is a sports car of of renown because it for some for some time held the, the world record or sorry, the record in its class um, for, for going some three hundred and forty two kilometers an hour. So they had stuck that into the, into the van. But it, it serves to make the point that it's actually what is inside that counts. You can have an old British delivery van if you want, but put a decent engine in it, and that thing is going to, going to move. Well, we know this with books. Don't judge a book by the cover, we often say, don't we? We know it with a box of chocolates. Nobody wants to get the, the liquor cherry one. You know, we all hate that. We leave it for, for somebody else. So, and so, so the chocolates all look delicious, but it's what inside that counts, isn't it? And so we all kind of try and find the, the peppermint and caramel. That's Turkish delight. You know, this is what Paul is essentially saying here. Yeah, we're all rather ordinary vessels, but, but it's what is inside 
that actually counts. And then he goes on to talk about, well, what, what is inside? What is this, this treasure that we, we carry within? He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay, and the reason is that we only show this all-surpassing power is from God and, and not from us. So within us, this, this essential treasure is this, an all-surpassing power from God, and, and what is it doing? It is, is doing this. Verses 10 to 11. Well, we always carry around in our body, here's the treasure, the death of Jesus. Now, that doesn't sound like treasure, does it? But, but, but follow, follow for a second. We carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal, mortal body. In other words, he's, he's saying that, that inside here, is, is a couple of symbols that we carry around. One is the cross, the death of Jesus. Because through the death of Jesus, we too, that, that the old us is now dead. Yeah, the old us that, that had all of those old desires and things and, and just we could not make a decent choice in life, dead. Therefore, we carry around in us the, the death of Christ. But not just that. In here is also a stone, you can picture it as a rock. It's actually a little one. But picture it as symbolic of the rock that was, was rolled away from the tomb, which is now empty, representing to the life of Christ. And as we understand that, that, that death could not hold Christ, that, that he rose again from the dead, we also understand that he's done that in our life as well, that he is rising more and more in our lives. And, and he, is, he is bringing to us the new life that can be found only in Jesus Christ. It's, it's a little bit like this. Um, I, I used to have, when I left the police force many, many years ago, I went to work with Caleb Ministries, Tent Makers Youth Ministry. Actually, Mark is, is here and, and we work together. And uh, Mark will probably remember the, the um, exquisite company cars that we were issued. I had uh, an old Renault. It was, it was in that mustard yellow, which most people globally consider to be actually the undercoat, and they were just shipped out of the factory too early. It was this mustard yellow, terrible color. Anyway, um, this particular car was pretty old, actually. It, it only had two gears. It had second and fourth, and it didn't have a Speedo working. I mean, you never knew quite what the Speedo was doing. And uh, but, but frankly, it was a bit of fun to drive because you really had to get the revs up before you took off in second. And then, oh, between five and six minutes, you would get up to about 20K, by which time, if you again had a favorable hill or had the revs up, you could slip it into fourth, and then within another half hour or so, you're up to about 59. I don't think you could actually do 60 kilometers. Therefore, the fact that the speedo didn't work wasn't too much of a problem. Well, imagine that was your car, and uh, as proud of you as you were of it, you realised that the day had come where you had to dispose of it. In actual fact, that day came to me. There were two specialised units deployed um, by the Victoria Police traffic section to help specifically police um, uh, pollution the Environment Protection Authority. And uh, one of those was now sitting behind me on this particular day with its blue lights flashing. Well, we were, we were standing um, in between this beautiful latest, latest model uh, uh, Commodore and, and it had all of the trimmings. Everything that the Victoria Police could put on a car was on that car. I mean, this was a really, really sweet unit. And then we were, we were standing in between that and the Renault. 
and uh, just chatting as you, as you do when you're either a policeman or a former policeman, uh, which I happened to drop into the conversation. And we were looking at the, at the Renault at that time, and, and they were just saying, seriously, you left this to go to this. And, and I said, yeah, kind of youth workers don't get paid that much. And I said, so um, I guess it wasn't as it's blowing blue smoke. It wasn't hard to find me, was it? And they, I, they said, uh, no, no, not at all. No, no, we probably just followed the blue smoke for about two kilometers before we actually sighted the car. But, but no, we, we, we found you. And they were very, very kind. They, they um, instead of giving it a full roadworthy, which would have been an immediate death sentence, they simply said, eliminate the blue smoke. Apparently, there's a couple of tricks that you can do that. Anyway, imagine your car, your little Renault, your life has just been given the death sentence. And, and in re- you know, to replace that, you're presented with the option of the nicest vehicle you can think of. In a sense, that's what Christ has done for us. He's, he said that old life that kind of had a, had a faulty moral gauge so that you could never really, really tell if you were doing the right thing or not, and, and only had half the capacity that it was supposed to have, so you could never really live life the way you were supposed to live it. That old life, consider it dead. I'm going to give you a brand new life. You know, you can put whatever badge on it you want, but, but essentially this is the life that comes only through Jesus Christ. And imagine, I mean, well, you'd be honored, wouldn't you? You'd be delighted. You would actually jump at that. And you'd say, yeah, please take the keys to the Renault, although you don't really need them. You just kick it. I love this new life that you have given me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, it would be crazy, would it not, to having accepted that offer to say to yourself, the only thing is I'm going to take it down to my, my friend who's a mechanic and I'm going to get my old my old uh, um, speedometer put into the new car and my old gearbox put into the new car because I'm kind of used to a faulty moral gauge and I'm kind of used to just living at half capacity. You'd be crazy, wouldn't you? And Paul says the same thing. Having just received this, this grand new life from Jesus Christ, why would you, explaining this to the Galatians in chapter 524, why would you, those who belong to Christ, why would you go back to anything else? Um, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, they've said that old crummy life with its faulty moral gauge and half capacity, it's dead. I've had enough of it. I'm not, I'm not bringing over any of that into my new life. Forget it. I consider it crucified. The flesh, its passions, its desires, the whole thing, I no longer want it. And I'm not going to operate that way anymore. I'm for the new car. I'm for the new life. I want to take everything that Jesus has given, given to me. And that's what Paul is essentially saying here. The treasure is that, that through the, the death of Jesus Christ, that old you is dead. You're no longer compelled and controlled and held by the sinful desires of the old life. That's not you anymore. That's gone. Instead, you have risen with Jesus Christ. This new life is now available to you and all of the benefits of the risen Christ are now your benefits as well. You can be just as victorious in life as Jesus himself is. That's the treasure. It is hidden remarkably in this little clay pot. People like you and people like myself as well. This is the the living out of the application of John the Baptist in John 3.30, where he says, I must become less so that Christ might become more. Every day we try to live that out. I want to become less because I'm no longer that old person, so that Christ can become more because I am this new person. 
This is what we are living out. When we're at OMUSA, there was this lovely, lovely guy, young single guy by the, by the name of Roger. And, and Roger wasn't officially um, on the payroll, although he got, he got a small salary. And he wasn't sort of, sort of supported by missionaries, but he was just the loveliest, loveliest guy. I guess um, some might say he's kind of skin and bones. You know, there was nothing worldly about him to, to attract you to him. He was a, a little, bit, little bit awkward. He, he had a slight stutter as well, and, and, um, and he wore the, the same clothes. He had a little bit of a set of clothes, just slight change, always washed, always clean. But, you, you, know, you know, he would not have ever found himself in the pages of some fashion magazine or anything like that. Um, there was no designer glasses. He just wore these, these big old glasses or, or no support team that was supporting him as a missionary as he worked with OMUSA. He wasn't like many of the other workers at OMUSA, you know, often speaking at this church or this conference or so forth. He, he wasn't on the speaking circuit at all. In fact, he didn't travel very much at all. He didn't belong to any frequent flyer programs. That I recall, he didn't really have family to speak of. I think the OM team was family, family to him. And I asked Chip Kirk when he was here a couple of years ago about different people from OM that I remembered. And I said to Chip, hey, how's Roger doing? And Chip's going to be with us in a couple of weeks as well. Ask him about Roger if you'd like. But I asked Chip, I said, how's Roger doing? He said, you know what? Um, he, you know, when the global financial crisis hit, he, you know, he sort of uh, he, he hit the road trying to look for work and so forth, and and uh, just just to pay the bills and so on, and and none of us heard from him for a long, long time, and and then finally I had contact with him. I said, "How is he doing?" And he said, "Well, you know, Roger, he'd never complain, but he admitted to me eventually that he'd he'd been living out of his car for about a year." because he just couldn't, couldn't really get a job. And my heart just went out to him. You see, Roger, you would never open up the office in the morning because Roger was already there. He was the first to arrive before everybody else. And you would never lock up the office in an evening because Roger would still be there. He was, he was the last to leave, the first to arrive and the last to leave. Roger would never forget a detail. He'd stop by your office um, delivering mail or perhaps as a janitor, you know, just cleaning up, collecting bins and so forth, any odd job to sort of help around the place. And he'd stop by your office and he'd, he never forgot any of the kids' names. He always remembered Bronwyn. He'd always say, how's Bronwyn doing? How are the kids doing? He asked these probing questions that quickly got past the superficial. It was just brilliant that way. He'd say, I guess it must be really hard for them, you know, coming from Australia. And, and he, would, he would really empathise with people. And how are they doing? How are they settling in? And I would tell him all about it. And then he'd ask, usually always, would you, would you mind if, if I pray with you right, right, right now? And then we'd have a little time of prayer and, and, and he would pray for, pray for me and the family and so forth. It was so hard to extract a detail out of Roger. He, he didn't want to talk about himself. Why would he want to talk about himself? He was so interested in other people. And then you'd see him the next time, he'd be dropping by with a little bit of mail or to collect the bins or, or something. And, and again, he never missed a detail. So just want you to know, I've been praying about what we talked about. And I knew that Roger would. He would always be praying. I once said to someone, 
as they stopped by my office speaking about Roger. I think they worked in the same area as him in, in the office. I said, do you reckon, because I always like to pick him if I can, do you reckon Roger might be an angel? And they just laughed. And, and apparently, unbeknownst to me, they reported this to Roger. So Roger actually promptly dropped by my office just to let me know that he wasn't. He was just, he was just an ordinary guy. He was a jar of clay. But what was it that made me wonder whether he might have been an angel? Well, it was Christ within him. He had this amazing treasure within him that just made me sort of want to ask the question, what makes a guy like that, who in the world's eyes is just so ordinary, but in my eyes is just one of those special, special brothers in Christ in the kingdom? It's Christ within us. That does that. If the, if the top gear guys who gathered around that old British delivery van, if they could gather around Roger and lift up the hood on Roger and say, what is it that makes this guy so extraordinary? Why is he such a nice, caring, gentle, loving guy? What is it? They would look in there and they'd say, oh, would you look at that? Christ is in him. Yeah, that would do it, wouldn't it? Yeah, that, 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 would, that, would, that would make a very, very ordinary person rather extraordinary. And that was, that was Roger. And Paul was, was actually convinced of this. He knew the, the power of Christ within him. He, he had one occasion where there was a particular affliction. He, he wanted, we, we, we don't know the exact nature of it. Was it a, um, some, sort of, some sort of illness or, or, or what, what was it? We don't know. But we do know this, that on three occasions, Paul pleaded with God to take away this affliction from him. And God simply said this to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. That's the, the grace of God. He goes on in 1 Corinthians, as his former letter, chapter 15, verse 9 to, to 10, and he, and he says, you know, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He knew that what he was, this treasure that he had within him, he knew it was the grace of God at work in his life. That's what he would attribute um, who he was to. I am what I am. So I've got another picture in my office. This one was from Lani Baldwin. And she was at a kid's church one day and she, she drew this for me. And um, I'm the, the character, again, over on the, the far, um, far left-hand side. And and I've got an outstanding crop of hair, you might notice. And next to me is, is Bronwyn, who have also got very big hands. Can you see that? But there in the foreground is God. There's no doubt that's God because he's got God written on his hands. And he's got very big hands and very big muscles. And he's very, very capable to help out Pastor Stu and Pastor Bron. He's a very, very big God. These pictures in my office remind me a little bit of my frailty and just I'm a pretty ordinary guy, to be quite honest. I'm a clay jar like the rest of us. But I serve a very, very big God, a God who has me in those very, very big hands and holds me up with those very, very big muscles. And that God lives inside of me. It's an amazing, an amazing treasure. You know, sometimes I think we've got to revisit our theology of, of suffering um, you know, God doesn't, God doesn't design suffering so much as he delights in repurposing it. 
It's a little bit like oranges. Quite often we refuse to acknowledge God for a good orange, but we're all too quick to blame him for a bad one. But when you discover that from a moldy orange, the little healing wonder we call penicillin can be produced, an opportunity arises for us to see God's hand of grace. God takes suffering and pain and difficulty and the tragedies of your life and the ordinary nature of who you are and the not very glamorous lives that each of us live. And out of that, he produces a little, a little miracle called grace. And he is seen in that moment for who he really is. He, he chooses the womb of the peasant Mary instead of some noble blooded woman. He chooses a donkey instead of a stallion. He chooses a cross instead of a throne. And he chooses you and I instead of some celebrity to be the bearer of his presence. In fact, it's our very fragility that makes us the perfect carriage for God. Nothing quite reveals the power of God like the weakness of of man. Do you ever feel a little bit too young to be a superhero for God or a little bit too old, a little bit too unprepared or a little bit past it? God loves the fact that you feel inadequate. He loves the fact that you are rather weak. He loves the fact that you're, you're not overly confident and he loves the fact that, that you feel inadequate. He loves all of that. He loves all of us as we come in our humility with our brokenness to God. We say, well, I'm not much, but here you are. If, if, if I can be a package for your presence, I'm available. He loves that about you and about I because nothing reveals the power of God like the weakness of man. I don't know if you've ever had a, a moment like this where where you've been maybe as a, as a school kid. You've been in the schoolyard and, and teams are choosing sides and they're picking this person and that and so forth. And I don't know if this has ever been you, but I remember it. Um, uh, cricket was just one of those games I, I was never taught to throw a ball. And uh, later on, I got taught that you throw it with your fingers, not your hand, and it made so much sense to me. But, but prior to that moment, I, you know, it was just such an uncoordinated kind of a practice. And, and anyway, I, I, I remember everybody kind of, kind of knew you, you didn't particularly want Stuart on your, on your, on your team. And um, it's all right, there were others, others with me. Don't feel too sorry for me. But, but they were picking different people. And I remember being down to about the last one, two, three, and kind of thinking, you know, oh, boy, I hope I'm not the very last one as people are picking sides and that sort of thing. You know, to this day, I mean, I smile about it. Now, at the time, it was a bit, of, a bit insulting. But I remember one of the guys just looking at the last three and saying, oh, you can have them because I've got my team. <laughs> and that just kind of added to the insult, I think. But you know what? When it, when it comes to that, when it comes to God choosing, here's the truth of it. He always chooses you. He loves to choose you. There are no celebrities and heroes and people that he, that he longs to represent him. He loves to choose you. He always chooses you. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, Paul sort of summarized it all this way. He says, so therefore, you know, this ordinary life that we, we live, therefore don't lose heart. 
Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what, what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You are a vessel for the very presence of God. You carry within you the world's greatest treasure. Did you realize that? You're the perfect package for God. He says so. You're the perfect package. You're just what he needs in order to bring glory to himself. Because people will lift the hood on your life and peer in and say, what is it about you? What is it about you? And the only explanation is Jesus Christ. Just imagine you're making a movie about Jesus. You might call it the passion of the Christ. And, you, and you're kind of thinking, who are we going to get to act out Jesus? What about, what about Jim Caviezel? He's kind of this you know, nice, tall, handsome chap, strong facial features, good head of hair, you know, kind of muscly, solid build. He'll make a good Jesus, won't he? Jesus is looking for representatives of his presence every day, people who will imitate him, people, people who will carry around the treasure of Jesus Christ within. And do you know what? He doesn't choose the Jim Caviezel's. No offense to Jim. Well, he has chosen Jim, but he, but he chooses, guess what? You and I to be the carriages of his presence, to be the package in whom he resides. You're the perfect package. You're just what he's looking for. It might feel rather ordinary, but inside you is an amazing treasure. And that treasure is bringing about an eternal glory. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you tonight for this further understanding of the nature of grace. Grace means that instead of choosing a tabernacle to reside in or a temple or visiting a particular place or a person with the splendor of your presence just from time to time, momentarily, instead you choose us. You make us your temple. You come and reside in us. We become the packages of your presence. What a remarkable truth. And thank you for the meaning that that gives to our ordinary, rather mundane lives. They're just perfect for you to display your glory in. And we want to thank you tonight for that privilege. We want to thank you that we carry within us the world's greatest treasure, the very presence of God himself in the face of Christ Jesus. How wonderful. How glorious. It is absolutely amazing, and we thank you for it. Would you help us to understand this fully, to remember it? Tonight as we go to bed, tomorrow when we wake up, every day throughout this week, would you help us to understand the, the importance and the wonder of this, this grace that is ours through Christ? 
because it really is the game changer. We are in awe of you and in awe of your plan, this great mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's a beautiful, wonderful reality. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.